big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge thank you to our patrons, Sibelius, who upgraded their pledge. If you want to be like them and get access to bonus episodes, outtakes, our notes, and a special patron-only Finsta, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 15 and 16 of Emma. Oh my god, Doc was such a little brat. He, when, was he like dragging when Mike was taking him down the stairs? Well, he came up, he ran up to me and gave me hugs. Oh, Docko. Well, he very specifically hates the cold, and so he's upset that he has to go out in the cold. So, you know, when we go to take him on a walk, we're always just like, Doc, it's time for a dog walk. And then he gets up and he wags his tail and he's ready to go. He just looked at Mike when he was like, Doc, it's ready for a dog walk. He goes, he gave this little like sass face and we said it like five times and he was still just like lying down on the couch being like, no, no, no. He said, I'm not going on a dog walk. You can go on a mic walk. Yeah. But oh, for our Finsta, what might be the best Finsta content yet would be Milo and Doc playing together. Oh my God. I cannot wait. (gasps) My ovaries. Speaking of my ovaries, Jane Austen. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I guess this to say this is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about chapters 15 and 16 of Emma. Listeners, for those of you who are new here, I, Becca, have read a lot of Jane Austen books through my lifetime. And I, Molly, am reading Jane Austen for the first time through this podcast. And if you want to listen to Molly read Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, that's seasons one or two of this podcast, respectively. But that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we're talking about the juiciest chapters of Emma yet. We have our first little hint of the drama that is to come. Can't wait. We have a proposal. Graham, the sound effect. It's the But you should really just do all of our sound effects, huh? Yeah, yeah, Graham, you can remix that if you want. It's do 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 But it's like a trumpet. I need you all to know that Becca's like fully using her hand to accentuate. I have Italian blood in my system, so I have to use my hands to talk. The listeners don't really know about this because you know, it's a podcast. But if we end up ever doing those video episodes that people are asking about, then you will see. Yes. By the way, the answer to those video questions that you have is if you can uh, hire us a video editor. It's a hard maybe. Uh, You have to understand we don't look cool while we record this podcast, guys. We we are sitting in my office in my apartment, which is covered in Mike's nerdy shit. And Molly's on like a plastic set of drawers on my desk chair while I'm sat at Mike's desk. So we're like painting a picture for you. I'm sure at some point we'll take like a photo of our setup, but it's not like we're not like sitting at a table having like a cool conversation or like in a studio. We look really janky feel like while we record this. Exactly. Right now I have a uh, heating pad, one of those little rice filled bags that Becca has so graciously lent me because I am having the cramps and uh, wearing, you know, leggings and we're in our pajamas, basically. Not basically in our pajamas. We are in our pajamas. And also, I should say this is super funny because last episode we recorded when we were just getting a sense that Elton liked Emma. I was using the same heating pad for my cramps that showed up like an hour before our, our record session. So like you guys are welcome. We're, we're putting out all the content for you while we're, we're downed by your own uteri. <laughs> <laughs> There's something so funny about the word uteri. It's not a word. It's uteruses. But, but why though? Molly, I don't know. <laughs> 
listen, listeners, you know I like to get into the language, and I just don't understand how it can be octopi, but not uteri. I think it's technically octopuses now. I know, I know, I know. They changed it? I think so. How? How can you just change that? I don't know, Molly. All I know is that certain, like, octopus scientists have been, like, it's actually octopuses. Where are the octopusy jokes? I mean, they're all in the James Bond movie, right? I've never seen it. I mean, I, I can live without James Bond. It's not Jane Austen. Speaking of. Speaking of, let's get into it. Becca, tell the listeners where we left off. Oh, we left off at a Christmas Eve party where we were talking about a few things. One is that Emma's starting to realize that Mr. Elton has a little thing for her. Number two is that uh, Mr. Frank Churchill is in a home where his aunt, mother figure, doesn't really let him leave a lot. And we talked about whether or not that was on him or on his aunt. And that's basically it. It's snowing really hard. Yeah. Potentially. And it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we left off. So I guess we should just dive into it. Oh, yes, we shaz. We shaz. Ah, the triumphant return. So after a while, Mr. Woodhouse is feeling ready to go home, and his daughters are trying to distract him until the other men join because Mr. Woodhouse joined them a little bit early after dinner. And Mr. Weston is feeling very chatty tonight, so they're in there for a while. When he and Elton come back, Mr. Elton comes and sits in between Emma and Mrs. Weston on the couch. Yeah. He just inserts himself. Yep. He decides this is where I want to be. And they just have to deal with it. There's a meme there. There, that, There's one that exists already, right? There has to be. <sighs> well, there's there's Ron sitting between Harry and Ginny on the couch in Half-Blood Prince. Perfect. We'll use it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's great because what's funny about it is it implies that Mrs. Weston and Emma are a romantic item. But also, like, we're doing my my boy Rupert pretty dirty because I, you know, love the character Ron Weasley and have um, different feelings on the character of Mr. Elton. Understood. We will talk about that. I have kept them under wraps. You really have. I, I honestly, I didn't couldn't really get a gauge on how you felt about him. Uh, that I'm very proud of. Wow, Becca just I, tossed her hair. I, I'm very proud of that because I was trying so hard to like feed you some seeds about Elton without giving away the game. He sucks. Oh, he sucks. Sucks. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's keep going. Yes. So he's sitting in between them and Emma is like, you know what? I'm feeling good. I know Frank is coming to town. I'm excited about that. I'm not going to worry about Mr. Elton and his current weird behaviors. He starts then talking about Harriet and how concerned he is about her health. And so Emma thinks for a minute, like, oh, this is good. This is on track. But then I wanted to read this part because I have been saying this this whole time. And and actually, this whole episode, I'm going to scream a lot about how I've been saying this. this You know what else we need to do is that meme of Gloria in Modern Family where she's like, I know it. Modern Family is another one that I have not seen, but I can picture the meme. You've seen the meme, though, right? Where she's in the car and she's like punching her husband's arm and she's screaming, I know it! I haven't. This is an education for me. Okay, I will send you this photo. It is Molly when it comes to Mr. Elton. (laughs) So I'm going to read the quote. Okay, go for it. But at last there seemed a perverse turn. It seemed all at once as if he were more afraid of its being a bad sore throat on her account than on Harriet's, more anxious that she should escape the infection than that there should be no infection in the complaint. This is what I've been saying, and this is the moment that she starts to realize, that he is doing these things more for her than for Harriet, and it has been that way the whole time. And there are more realizations of this to come, but this is the first little inkling of it. He's begging her not to visit Harriet anymore. And she thinks it did appear exactly like the pretense of being in love with her instead of Harriet and in constancy, if real, the most contemptible and abominable. Woof. Yeah, not great for Elton. Not a good look for our guy. He turns to Mrs. Weston and he tries to get her to help him convince Emma not to visit Harriet anymore. And he says that she is so scrupulous for others and yet so careless for herself, which is interesting because he's accidentally stumbled upon exactly what 
she is, like what she's doing. He, she's been trying to get him and Harriet together and not caring about her own feelings or like what she wants. And he just kind of says it. Yep, not not great for Mr. Elton, but he he's accidentally right here. So Mrs. Weston is surprised by all of this and his behavior, and Emma, meanwhile, is seething. She thinks he's assuming the right of first interest in her, which I think means that he assumes she cares what he thinks and assumes that he is the person caring most for her in this world. And she's like, I could care less what you think. That's basically it. She's like, oh, you don't think Mrs. Weston gives a shit about whether or not I get sick from seeing Harriet? You don't think my father loves me? Like, you think don't think I love me? Right. Emma loves Emma more than anyone loves Emma. That is not true. Mr. Woodhouse loves Emma more than anyone <laughs> loves Emma. But Emma is a close second. Yes. Emma can take care of herself. And she gives him this look. And then she just gets up and walks away, which I love for her. Yes. This whole scene is... Uh, delicious I want to say because once she realizes what's happening Emma's like oh absolutely McFuck not (laughs) McFuck I don't know where that came from but it's something I say sometimes I'm like I think McFuck not (laughs) love it as soon as she walks away John comes in and he's like guess what it's snowing and he says very sarcastically that it's going to be really fun for the horses to try to get home through the snow. And in my notes, I wrote, it's like rain on your wedding day. Because Mr. Woodhouse, poor thing, he finally ventured out. He got on that plane. And as the plane crashed down, he thought, well, isn't this nice? Yes. I mean, most things in that song are not actually ironic, but a couple things are, and that is one of them. Well, I don't know if actually this would be irony per se, but it is represented in that song. Yes. Well, for me, this is really relatable content because do you ever just like have a meltdown about something then like as it's happening, you're like, oh, that was actually nothing. Mm -hmm. That's like Mr. John Knightley here is like about to have a meltdown about the snow. The whole time he is freaking out about the snow. He's like, he's like, oh my God, I can't believe you made us go out in this. Like, this is the worst. We're going to be stuck here for weeks, blah, 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 blah. As soon as they get home, he's like, I'm sorry about that. Uh, it's actually pretty chill. It's full blown like an inch of snow and he's like having a meltdown. Yeah, I think he just wants to go home, which I get. I love him. I do. He's Michelle. He is Michelle. He really, really is. So he comes in and he's he's freaking out. He's going hard. He's rubbing it into Mr. Woodhouse's face. He's like, you know, I admired your spirit for venturing out in this weather. You know, if one carriage blows over, at least we brought two so that we'll be fine getting home. Like he's... He's really going in. And poor Mr. Woodhouse is like, oh, my God. Meanwhile, Mr. Weston has known it was snowing for, like, hours. And he didn't say anything because he didn't want Mr. Woodhouse to leave. And he's like, honestly, I wish it would snow you all and so you could hang out with me for longer, which is really sweet. Mr. Weston's a good dude. He really is. He's pretty chill. I wanted to note that it said that there wasn't enough space for them all to stay over even if they had been forced to. Like, there's only two spare rooms. And so I just wanted to note that level of wealth difference between the Westons and the Woodhouses. Absolutely. Randall's is a much smaller property. Mm -hmm. Emma is trying to comfort him, saying their horses are really excellent. James, their horse guy, is really good. And he kind of calms down a little bit. But at the same time, Isabella is freaking out because her kids are still at Hartfield, which I don't think I realized. Like, I guess I kind of just assumed that they all came no there's like a thing in this time where children are not involved in any of this because the children just like are not in the society at all so they're being watched by the servants and they're having their christmas eve like at home they're chilling kind of sad i guess but it doesn't really seem like anyone does christmas gifts in this time period they're just like spending it with family and friends but like they left their their kids like I, if i was mr uh john knightley or Isabella, I too would want to go home and be with my family. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, but also, like, it's not that unusual for parents to go out for a Christmas Eve party. I guess that's true. But, like, they, they don't eat dinner with their parents ever. That's, like, what you're seeing here. Like, they don't eat with their parents. They don't hang out with their parents all the time. They're mostly looked after by the servants. That's, that like, sense. childhood in this era. Right. Oh, yeah. So Isabella is like, I have got to get home. She says that she wants to leave with John and Emma and Mr. Woodhouse can stay longer. 
And she's like, you know, if it gets too bad for the horses, I will get out and I will walk home. I will be fine. I will not catch a cold. And John is like, that's amazing because every other thing in your life makes you catch a cold. And she's like, well, I can change my shoes when I get home. And he's like, you're dressed really prettily for walking home in this weather. And he's just really on a roll with like the quippy remarks today. Yeah, he's given a lot of sass for a man having a meltdown over an inch of snow. He is. He's making it everyone else's problem. Yep. So Emma and Isabella are like kind of arguing about who's going to go and who's going to stay because Emma is like, we should just all go together if that's the case. And Knightley comes in and he had left as soon as his brother came in freaking out about the snow. He was like, I don't believe you for a second. He goes outside and he even walks a little bit down the road and he's like, there's hardly any snow on the ground. And it looks like it's going to stop soon. So you can all calm down. You can leave now. You can leave in an hour. You'll get home fine. Bless Mr. Knightley. He's so hot. Oh, that like strong, stern, like guiding hand of Mr. Knightley. And just the idea that like as soon as there was the sense of trouble, he got up and left to go check on it. Oh, yeah. He just fucking dealt with the situation. Yeah. Ugh. We love a man who can deal with a situation. Uh, a man in a crisis that's not a crisis. <laughs> right? <laughs> so basically, everyone calms down, but Mr. Woodhouse is still a little bit anxious, and Knightley and Emma have this moment where they look at each other and they're like, should we just go? We should just go. So they call the carriages, and they're all getting ready to go. And Emma is excited to get Elton home because he's drunk, and she wants him to just go cool off and sober up. They go out to the carriages and Mr. Woodhouse asks the driver to go slow so that both carriages can stay together and no one will get left behind. Isabella gets in the carriage with Mr. Woodhouse and John climbs up behind her because he forgot that he came with Emma and just like gets in behind his wife and Emma gets stuck alone with Elton in the carriage. Dun, dun, dun. I'm sure when you read that, you were like, oh no. I, I Well, first I was like, where is Knightley going? What carriage did he come in? Knightley came alone. Like, he's not going back to the same place. Oh, right. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so at first I was like, oh, she's going to be in a carriage with Knightley and Elton, but then Knightley was going in his own carriage, so I was just like, (gasps) yeah, she's alone with Elton. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So she's freaking out, and she's like, okay, he's going to be annoying, he's drunk, blah, 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 blah. She wants to take control of the conversation. So she's like, I'm just going to start the conversation. I'm going to be very calm. It's going to be fine. She opens her mouth and he immediately starts, quote, making violent love to her. Tough, tough. Jane Austen did not know how that would age, but that is not what she means. Yes, it means that he's speaking violent love to her. He's just like, I fucking love you, babe. Like, you're the like prettiest girl I've ever seen in my fucking life. Yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah. He's disgusting. Oh, yeah. This is gross. He says she must have known how he's felt about her all along, and he will die if she refuses him, and he's sure she won't because he's, quote, flattering himself that his ardent attachment and unequaled love and unexampled passion could not fail of having some effect, which screams Mr. Collins. Not even because Mr. Collins is like, like, not super violent in his passions. He's just like, this is a proper match. So you're going to say yes to me. So have you ever seen the movie Inside Out? Yes. So you know her imaginary boyfriend who's like, I would die for Riley. It's been a while, but I think so. So like Riley has an imaginary boyfriend in her head. And at a certain point in time, they like make a an army of the imaginary boyfriends to like get something accomplished. And like, I just remember this part where, like, all these clones are going, I would die for Riley. I would die for Riley. I feel like this is like, I would die for Emma. I would yeah. die for Emma. You're right. Yeah. Uh. But you are correct that this is an another unflattering portrayal of a clergyman, which, first of all, I would note Edward Ferrers is also a clergyman. Sure, sure. So they're not all portrayed poorly, but... This isn't great, and I think it's funny, and I will note, I'm pretty sure Jane Austen's dad was a clergyman. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Hmm. I'm curious. I'm curious about her experiences with mm. clergymen, but um, yeah, to me, it is just like not a good look for him to be like, well, of course you're going to say yes, because I, my love for you is so strong, like you cannot refuse. Isn't that like a plot point in Twilight as well? Ew. I know. Like- 
I know we're in a Twilight Renaissance or whatever, but we do need to talk about some aspects of that book, including the fact that when a werewolf imprints on a woman, no matter her age, no matter her, no matter her age or the fact that she might be an ovum in a, in a fallopian tube, um, they, <laughs> apparently they like profess their undying love. And Bella's asked a question at some point being like, what if the woman doesn't feel the same way? And one of them says something like, it's hard to resist that kind of devotion. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Especially if it's coming from Elton. Like, Jesus. Also, we'll talk about this later, but like the lady doth protest too much. Elton? Yes, we'll, we'll come back to that point. Okay. Yeah. So she's trying to interrupt him and be like, wait, 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 wait. But he is just steamrolling over her and she's like trying to stay kind of joking with him, like to laugh it off. And she's like, oh, you're drunk you you you're forgetting yourself I'd be happy to pass this message on to Harriet but please stop saying it all to me and he's like what do you mean Miss Smith not Miss Smith and Emma's like you know you're not being yourself right now and he's like no I'm not drunk he only had enough to kind of give him a little lift but he's not sloppy drunk he's just tipsy (laughs) and so he says I don't understand why we're talking about Harriet right now. And then he continues talking about how in love he is with her. And and Emma's like, listen, after the way you've been behaving toward Harriet all month, addressing me like this is an unsteadiness of character that I had not believed to be possible. And she's like, I do not want anything to do with your professions of love. And he says, good heaven, what can be the meaning of this? Miss Smith? I never thought of Miss Smith in the whole course of my existence. Never paid her any attentions but as your friend. Never cared whether she were dead or alive but as your friend. If she has fancied otherwise, her own wishes must have misled her, and I am very sorry, extremely sorry, but Miss Smith indeed. Oh, Miss Woodhouse, who can think of Miss Smith when Miss Woodhouse is near? Tough. He never thought of her dead or alive. Literally is like, I don't give a shit if she dies, except for the fact that you're friends with her. And then he's like, oh, like if she's thought differently, that's like her own her own feelings. But it's actually Emma's feelings that have led her there. Oh, 100 percent Emma's feelings. It's just it's not looking good. And I just want to say that we talked about it and you were like, did he ever love Harriet? And I was like, no. And you were right. No, I was right. Yep. We should, like, have a little uh, tally mark of times that I was right. Yeah, I think you're getting into, like, maybe, like, the double digits at this point. Yes. Uh, maybe, like, on the second hand. Throughout throughout all three seasons, perhaps double digits. Um, maybe. <laughs> hey, listeners, if any one of you wants to come up with a list of all the times Molly has been correct in her predictions. Please send it to us. Oh, yeah. I feel like there was something you said offhandedly. Yes. That was correct. And I was like, <gasps> but I don't remember what it was. It was in Sense and Sensibility and it was about Colonel Brandon. Something about someone getting pregnant. Yes, it was something about someone You're like, getting- maybe Willoughby got his sister pregnant or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's so close. Yeah, it was something like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. There have been a few moments like that, but they are few and far between. But this, I was right about. So he goes on to just tell her everything that he's done in the past few weeks has been for her and he can't believe that she did not see it, which again, the same. Yeah, I want to just say this one other thing. Like, I am proud of you that you caught it. It was really good. But at the same time, Jane Austen made it really fucking obvious that Emma's an idiot. Listen, I was proud of myself. Let me have no, you. No, I am letting you have it. I am letting you have it. But come on, the way it was written. The way it was written, it was very clear. But I wasn't sure because sometimes like I read too far into things and I'm like, is this what it is or is it? Now your spidey senses are getting good with Jane Austen content. Yeah, I know how to read it now. Yeah, you do. So yeah, uh, it was very obvious, but also I was right. Oh yeah, you were. I'm only saying that from the perspective of not that it's weird that you were right, more that Emma's an idiot. <laughs> Emma's a big dum-dum. Yep. Emma is speechless and he takes her silence somehow to mean that she has in fact known how he's felt this whole time. And he's like, oh my God, you've known, you've known. And Emma's like, no, 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 no. I thought you liked Harriet all this time. And I was really like hoping for your success. But she's like, did you never love Harriet? Like ever? And he's like, never. She's a good girl. He wishes her well. He's sure there are men out there that won't object to her. As he says, quote, everybody has their level, but as for myself, I am not quite so much at a loss. I need not so totally despair of an equal alliance. Woof. 
Which is just what Knightley said. Yeah. When he was talking to Emma about it, he was like, he's never going to stoop that low. Yeah. And it's not only that. It's that, like, there's a couple elements to this. One, there's no question that Harriet would be moving up in class by marrying Mr. Elton. Two, there's the way Elton perceives himself and the fact that Emma thought so little of him that Emma was the only one who basically was like, Harriet and Elton are close in uh, rank. They need to have a good match together. Right. And like that is like not only upsetting to Elton as someone who is like into Emma, but also appallingly humiliating for him on a class level. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's going to really bother him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I-, I only visited so much because of the encouragement I received from you. And Emma's like, well, I only saw you as Harriet's admirer and a friend. And I'm glad we caught this when we did, because otherwise Harriet might have, you know, got caught in feelings, which uh, it's too late. She's just trying to save face now. Oh, yes. She says that Harriet probably isn't aware any more than herself of his, you know, his height and class to her, which is a blow to him because like what you just said, he's like, oh, she sees me as an equal to Harriet. So this is pissing him off. Oh, this is pissing him off majorly because like for the most part, he sees himself like near Emma in class. Right. Which is like she's thinking to herself, how can he be so aware of the class differences below him but so blind to the fact that Emma is way higher in status than him that's a really great question yeah we get into it a little bit more um, as the chapter goes on but basically she thinks that like she can't really judge him for not understanding how much more sophisticated she is than him because he's not sophisticated enough to pick up on that but he simply must know that she's richer than him and we'll get into that I think in the next chapter but for now, he is just so angry and embarrassed and they sit <laughs> they sit in just complete silence. And if they weren't so angry, it would be really awkward because the driver is going so slow because Mr. Woodhouse had asked him to go slow. So they're like crawling along in silence, but they're both just seething. So it's not awkward. It's just angry. Yeah. Also, I think it's like saves them the little zigzags of embarrassment yeah. where like they would be jolting together in a carriage. Usually it's going so slow that it's just a steady ride of just silence. Oh, that's what that meant. Yeah. I wrote that down because I was like, that's a fun way of putting it. Yeah. They're basically like she's saying like it could have moved them either which way they could have jolted into each other. But no, they're just going smoothly and slowly and they can just sit on opposite sides of the carriage and not pay attention to each other and just be mad. Mm -hmm. They're just angry. And when they finally get to his house, Emma, because she is a proper lady, is like, have a good night. And he's like, you too. And that's the end of that. And that's the end of that. Uh, She gets back and John is in a perfectly fine mood now that he's home, like we said. And she's like, I'm going to chill out and then go to bed. And she goes upstairs to bed and she just sits there and is like, what am I going to tell Harriet? Which like, great question. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. 
So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Which leads us to the next chapter. It does. And I call this a reflective chapter for Emma. I wanted to pair it with this last chapter. And it also goes like in tandem with sort of like it's similar in kind to like the Lizzie chapter after the letter. Yes, which I like to think of as the overthinky chapter. Oh, yeah. And this is an overthinky chapter that is very due for Emma, who was not thinking enough about what she was doing. In general, yes, she doesn't overthink enough. It starts out by saying, the hair was curled and the maid sent away and Emma sat down to think and be miserable. Yep. Yep. She's angry. She's embarrassed. But how she feels is nothing compared to how Harriet has been wronged. And she feels like she would have endured double the embarrassment and anger that she's feeling if it would just be confined to her and not then have to be transferred to Harriet as well, which is a good friend thing of her to think. Mm -hmm. She wishes that she hadn't persuaded Harriet into liking him. And she realizes now that she had basically predetermined how Mr. Elton felt and then just bent everything that actually happened to fulfill what she wanted to happen. So at least she's self-aware about it. Mm -hmm. She thinks, however, that he must not have been entirely clear with his feelings because she wouldn't have been so easily misled, which thinks a little bit highly of herself, I think. Um, And then we go back over everything and she thinks to herself, the picture, yes, he was very into my painting, the poem, okay, the ready wit thing, but what about the soft eyes? Like, I don't have soft eyes. That was great. This part's great because it like, again, it goes to the fact that Emma did not think highly of that poem. She just sort of thought highly of it as evidence that he liked Harriet. But when she's looking at it with relation to herself, she's like, oh, that was a shitty poem. Yeah, she's like, there's so much flower. Like, what? This doesn't even mean anything. Yeah, she's like, this is nonsense. He doesn't know me. What the fuck is he writing about? She had thought him at times unnecessarily gallant, but she had always chalked that up to him not having always lived in good society. So just kind of overdoing it to make up for his lack of status, which I think is still true. Uh, Yeah, and I think it goes to like him overperforming. We're going to get to it. Elton overperforming love for Emma and what that means. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay. She is grateful to John for hinting at this affection um, because it kind of gave her a heads up. And she thinks, quote, there was no denying that those brothers had penetration. We don't know what Isabella gets up to in her spare time, but honestly, she's so sweet and mild mannered. But like, she also, she's also such a pleaser. That I'm kind of like, if you were into it, I bet she's doing it. (laughs) Isn't that what I thought you were going to say? What did you think I was going to say? Well, I thought you were going to switch from talking about John to talking about Knightley and say, but Knightley fucks. Oh, well, Knightley does fuck. And my God, like, hopefully me one day. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm talking about them getting, having penetration. Understood. Understood. Not giving yeah. Anyway, yep. we're we're moving on. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Ooh, this is a this has got an E rating next to it, listeners. Just making sure you guys remember. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't come at us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mom. So. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Molly's mom. <laughs> My mom stopped listening a bit ago, so she's not hearing this. My mom loves our podcast. I know your mom's a better like podcast listener than mine, and I can say that because my mom's not going to be offended because she's not listening. My mom doesn't even li- read Jane Austen, and she doesn't listen because she you know loves us, but because she actually enjoys the podcast, which makes me feel good. Oh, amazing! I love yeah. that. Anyway. <laughs> Emma thinks back to when Knightley told her that Elton would never marry down and she's embarrassed that he had such a better discernment of Elton's character than she did. The goddammit, I hate when Knightley's right of this all. Is so good. Yeah, yeah, because he was right. Ugh, mm, Knightley. Mm. So Elton is now showing himself to be proud, assuming, and conceited, and his professing his love to her has sunk him in her opinion. She's just insulted that he would think to to propose to her not propose to her but profess his love to her and she said this is where she says you know he looks down on her friend 
understanding the gradations below him in mm-hmm. rank, but not above. Um, she thinks that he wanted to marry well and, quote, having the arrogance to raise his eyes to her pretended to be in love. Basically, he's a gold digger. Yes. And let's talk about this. What does it mean that he pretended to be in love with her? It means that he does kind of understand the gradations of rank above him, right? I mean, kind of. I think he's raising himself up a little bit Mm -hmm. already. And because of that, he's gotten a little bit more of an in into a life that's just like right above him. And he's blinded by his own ambition to get there. So there's a way in which... Like with Frank Churchill, we see him fall in love with the idea of Emma, of her rank, her beauty, her wealth, and fancy himself in love with her because he can see himself in that cloak of wealth, as opposed to the idea of marrying down to someone like Harriet, who has nothing to offer him in terms of upward mobility so he would be stuck at the level he's at right now but he sees himself as almost entitled to move on to a new level of wealth and so that's what Emma's so offended by here Mm -hmm. and again I mean Jane Austen is not always kind to her characters who want to ascend their class status but Elton is a particularly egregious example of this sort of wily need to move forward and rise up in the ranks. You could see it as practical for him, but mm-hmm. you could also see it as sort of, as Emma calls it, arrogance. Yeah. So so do we think that there's no chance that he actually likes her? That's a question for you I have in the study questions, so we'll get to talking about that. All right, I'll think about it as yeah. we move on through the chapter. So I will note that she thinks that he knows nothing of real love. And the question that I pose is, does Emma know anything about real love? No. No, but but at least, I mean, she knows from what she's seen of the Westons, I guess. That's that's the extent of her knowledge of real love. Mm-hmm. And how old was she when her mom died? Young. Young. Okay. And I guess, yeah, she doesn't really think, I mean, I don't know if she thinks of Isabella and John as being in love. She doesn't like their marriage, for sure. She wants something with more mutual respect. Yeah, she wants to be respected and adored a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. So she thinks to herself that, like, he doesn't understand that her family's been around forever and his family is nobody in comparison. Um, She's thinking now just kind of enumerating her rank in the book. So she thinks that their property might be small, but their wealth makes them second only to Donwell Abbey as an estate in the town. Is Donwell Abbey the Knightley's? Yes, it's the Knightley estate. So, like, the town of Highbury has Donwell Abbey, which is the Knightley's, then... Hartfield, which is the Woodhouses, and then the, those are the two big families, and everyone else is like nothing compared to them. Yes. So she's like, how dare he, essentially. Basically, like, you really think that because I'm like sheltered in this little town, I don't know what my like rank and stature is. You really think I'd stoop so low to you? Right. She's like, you just got here. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, you're nobody. I'm everything. Yeah. I'm guessing that in Clueless, he's going to be like the transfer student, but don't tell me. I will neither confirm nor deny. Right. So um, she thinks, and yet he thought she was in love with him. She has to admit that she has been kind of, you know, nice to him, which a person who is of average discernment might take to mean that she has a thing for him and he is a person of average discernment. And she thinks that if she had so misinterpreted his feelings, she had little right of wonder that he, with self-interest to blind him, should have mistaken hers. Basically saying something along the lines of, like, I can't really talk because if I was so wrong about him, I can't blame him for being so wrong about me. Exactly. Yeah. She thinks her biggest error was trying to set up two people, uh, and she resolves never to do that again. And yet somehow, I think that this is not the last we've seen of that. Well, we're we're really early in the book at this point. Yeah. So I think she is going to continue. She feels guilty for giving Harriet hope with Elton, and she thinks that she should have just been satisfied with separating her from Mr. Martin, which who I forgot about. You forgot about Mr. Martin? It's our, been so long. Our little chicken nugget. I love my chicken nugget. Oh, my God. Poor Mr. Martin. A vegan nugget. A little vegan nugget. Yeah. He's so probably I, not a vegan because he's a farmer. But. Absolutely not. But I really hope that he comes back. But she's sitting here thinking, that was well done of me. 
A for Emma. She's like, well, thank God I at least did that for Harriet. We can do better. Yeah. She's like, I should have just been satisfied with introducing her into good company and good society. She thinks that she's only been half a friend to Harriet and uh, she can't even think of anyone else suitable for Harriet anyway. And then she goes, perhaps William Cox? No, he's a, he's a lawyer and I couldn't endure him. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, girl, you literally just said you weren't going to do this anymore. And then she thinks to herself, girl, <laughs> you, you literally just said you weren't going to do this anymore. Yeah. She, she has that same thought. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I wrote it in my notes and then I was like, nope, she said it herself. She's like, ha ha ha, oops, didn't mean to relapse. Um, then she goes into a serious, dispiriting cogitation, which is the act of thinking deeply about something or contemplation. And she thinks she has to somehow tell Harriet what happened. Things are going to be awkward going forward, for sure. And she has to, you know, figure out if she's going to continue or discontinue the acquaintance. Does she mean with Elton or like with herself for Harriet? Like Harriet's going to either continue being friends with Elton or cease to be or cease to be friends with Emma. I need to remember the context. Yes, I realized that was a lot of words that meant nothing. Um, the distressing explanation she had to make to Harriet and all that poor Harriet would be suffering with the awkwardness of future meetings, the difficulties of continuing or discontinuing the acquaintance, of subduing feelings, concealing resentment, and avoiding eclat were enough to occupy her in most unmirthful reflections sometime longer. I think it's to, like, Harriet, the, the discontinue the acquaintance thing. Yeah, she's saying Harriet is going to discontinue or continue an acquaintance, but does she mean with Elton or with herself? Or is she saying that she's going to discontinue her acquaintance with Harriet? I'm confused. With Elton. With Elton. With Elton, I believe. So there's a possibility that Harriet is going to stay friends with Elton? Well, they live in the same town. It's kind of like going to the same high school. You can't not see him. Interesting. He's their pastor. That's true. Like, he just is in their world. Like, it's not like... New York City where you go on a bad bumble date and then you can ghost the person and never see them again. This is like a small town where their society is limited and therefore Elton will pop up again. They have to decide actively to make sure he's not in their acquaintance anymore. That's so true. And also the word eclat was in there or eclat if it's French. Um, and I wanted to share a definition, social distinction or conspicuous success. Um, so basically avoiding the gossip. Yes. Eventually Emma goes to bed and she's just feeling embarrassed at having messed up so much, but she hopes to feel better in the morning. And I, I wanted to read another quote verbatim, but I feel like I've read most of this chapter verbatim. Go for it. I love this chapter. So I liked how it was said. It says to youth and natural cheerfulness, like Emma's though under temporary gloom at night, the return of day will hardly fail to bring return of spirits. The youth and cheerfulness of morning are in happy analogy and of powerful operation. And if the distress be not poignant enough to keep the eyes unclosed, they will be sure to open to sensations of softened pain and brighter hope. Like a new day is coming, Emma. Yeah. Have you ever gone to bed like embarrassed about something before? Yeah. Oh, it's like the worst feeling in the you're, world. Like lying up and you're like, oh my God, I, as a like a an A plus professional overthinker, I go to bed like this all the time, just going over stuff. And I'm like, okay, if I can fall asleep, in the morning, it'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> so relate to Emma here. Hard relate. She wakes up in the morning feeling better. It's Christmas. She's thinking Elton isn't really in love with her anyway. He's just a clout chaser. And Harriet's nature is not of the superior sort that feels things too deeply. In other words, she will bounce back from this. Plus, there's a blanket of snow outside, which means all three of them are going to be at their respective homes, won't be forced to see each other. Emma doesn't have to go anywhere for a couple of days. She gets to just hang out with her dad. It's like a snow day. She can't really communicate with Harriet yet, so she gets to put it off for a few more days. And she's just hanging out. Uh, Knightley comes over. He's the only one who can't be kept away by the snow, which I just love. Oh, I love Knightley. He's like, I'm just going to come over anyway. And her dad is like, you should stay away like Elton, like stay home. And Emma's like, yes, Elton is staying home, in fact. But it's because of the snow and no other reason. Yes, indeed. Mr. Elton is home. Yeah. And meanwhile, John has just done a complete 180 and is in the best spirits and they have a very lovely Christmas. Yes. Good stuff. So this is Becca's study questions now. I don't have many for this chapter because I think it kind of speaks for itself. Totally. So um, we have another proposal. Once again, Graham, a sound effect. So what do you think of Elton's tactics here? Grody, gross. Um, I I don't know. I just don't like the you must feel something too 
of it all. Very entitled, very sleazy man stuff that like makes you feel very seen by Jane Austen because you're like, oh, you were dealing with this in like the 19th century. Right. Like, I guess if Emma did like him back, like if he had been right about that, it would have been romantic potentially. That's true for like half the sleazy stuff guys do. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's still sleazy. And and he has no reason to think that she likes him except that she was nice to him, which is annoying because, like, girls can't just be nice to men all the time. Like, we should be able to be nice to men without them thinking that we're in love with them. Exactly. Like, I don't want a marriage proposal every time I'm polite or, like, even friendly. I think – so before I thought that Elton was hot, and now I just rewatched Over the Garden Wall. Have you seen it? No. All right. Well, I'm sure that probably, like, 92% of our listeners have just based on our (laughs) – Our demographics. Yeah. So – Jason Funderburger, I think, is Mr. Elton. He is this guy who, like, the whole time the main character is like, Jason Funderburger stealing my girl. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I have a crush on Sarah. And Jason, now she's running off with Jason Funderburger. And, like, they're going to be happy together. And I'm going to be alone and all this stuff. And he's like, everyone loves Jason Funderburger. And then at the end, you find out Jason Funderburger is, like, this really gross. Like, he's like, come on, Sarah. You ready to go into the, the party? And he's, like, gross and nerdy. And that's now what I'm picturing. Yeah, good good portrayal of Elton. When you were, like, going through, like, Elton's hot, Elton's well-meaning and dumb, Elton's this, Elton's that, I was, like sitting there being like Elton fucking sucks I really he's, I really went through all of that didn't I he's a he's like a, a gold digging sleaze bag who like is so obsessed with rank and class that he's like appalled and offended by the idea the very idea that he could have been into Harriet like the idea that he's so affronted by the suggestion and also offended by the fact that Emma thinks of herself as higher class than him is so disgusting and like him being blind to any machinations of Emma like we were watching the hullabaloo that was her trying to leave them behind to be together at different points in time and like he has to be as decidedly blind as she was being to not pick up on what she was trying to do he has to be a little bit Clueless. Yeah. It's it's not in this title, but... It's in a title. It's in a title. Yeah, so uh, I'm super happy now to (laughs) full chest say, fuck Elton. Fuck Elton. Oh, that feels good to say. I've been holding that back so far. (laughs) I'm really happy you were able to get that off your chest. Thank you. Oh, by the way, when asked about Gilmore Girls, Dean is Elton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to all our Dean lovers out there. Yeah, whoever you are, you're you're incorrect. Uh, Dean is <laughs> Dean is Elton. The entitlement, the anger at the response not being what he wanted it to be. You're right. When he says "I love you" and she's not ready to say that, he gets so mad. He at breaks her up with her. He breaks up with her. Like fuck that guy, and yeah. then he cheats on his wife. Yeah. So once again, to tie it back to Gilmore Girls, I had very strong feelings. Yeah. That he was Elton, and I didn't want to say it at the time, so I'm saying it now. Dean is Elton. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Yeah. Now I'm wondering who's, uh, well, I don't want to, we've talked about, we have, Becca and I have differing feelings on the men of Gilmore Girls. Yes, we've, we very much do. I'll be charitable in my Logan, but you're not at Logan yet. Got it. That's all I will say. <laughs> okay. Logan's my boy. I know. I, know. I, I think that's crazy, but I know. I know. <laughs> all right. Does Elton love Emma? God, I don't know. I think that Elton has a crush on Emma. I do not think that Elton has the right to say that he's in love with someone who he barely has spent any time with. Like, they've hung out a lot, but it's always been with another person, and it's always been very clearly focused on that other person, but he just, like, has chosen not to understand that, and he, like, hasn't even gotten a chance to get to know Emma that much, and, like, Also, you can't really say that you're in love with someone who hasn't given you the time of day. Like, I just, he's not in love with her. He has a crush on her, for sure. And he has his sights set on her. Like, he might have made that decision already. But he's not in love with her. I think that's a very fair summation. I think you can also say, like, the idea of Emma is, like, like I said, the idea of Emma is big for Elton. She has, like, a very specific life that is very coveted in this time period. Yes, he is in love with the idea of her. So, and I'll... Not only is she super rich and, like, from a good family, she's also so fucking charming and pretty and smart that, like, 
I can, if I'm being charitable to my guy, Mr. Elton, like who wouldn't fall for Emma? She has everything. Yeah. I would have a crush on her too, probably. I mean, don't we all have a crush on Emma? Yeah. She's yeah. hot. She's self-assured. Like confidence. Confidence, listeners. Confidence is hot. <laughs> And Emma has almost too much of it. Yeah. Or comfortably too much of it. She has too much of it, yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, We talked about this a little bit, but why is Elton so insulted by the idea of Harriet? Because he sees her as below him because she is newer to this society than him, right? Like, she's not necessarily a part of this society, but Emma has taken her under her wing and, like, is introducing her into society. So there is a world in which she becomes as much of the society as Elton, who moved here two years ago and is like definitely below Emma, but he sees Harriet as even more below him. Yeah, he's a gentleman and Harriet's... A nobody. A a bastard child, I've learned. (laughs) Yes. Of questionable birth. She is of questionable birth. So also in the economics of dating dating and Jane Austen, Graham, the sound effect, if we are going to take off our love caps, which have been on for the most of this podcast so far, we're going into the marriage as a financial decision realm as well. Mm -hmm. Harriet, no matter who she marries, is a terrible financial decision. So whoever Harriet marries has to be in love with her. And... Elton, as Knightley put it, is a creature focused on the financial prospects of his marriage. And the idea of giving that all up for a girl who has nothing is not, Elton's not that guy. He never will be. Right. And like, if we're being, again, charitable to our guy, Mr. Elton, who you are talking about a situation where like, he's like, you're basically telling me like, to make a bad business decision for this girl. Yeah. Still not a fan, though, because it's extraordinarily demeaning the way he talks about her, too. Disgusting. She is not, like, she's a person, dude. Yeah, and it's almost as though, like, in this chapter, Emma is joining us in the modern day a little bit and is, like, appalled by the way he talks about her. Yet, you know, she's her friend, and she's getting shat on by this guy for nothing. Right, just for being who she is. For having the audacity to think that maybe she could have a crush on him. Right. Which is disgusting. Have you ever met a person who's, like, actively spiteful towards people for simply having crushes on them? It is, to me, like, super abhorrent. I'm not saying, like, the idea of someone being uncomfortable with another person being too forward with them is wrong. I think that's totally reasonable. But there are people I've met who genuinely think like when another person has a crush on them, that is cause for derision. That's gross. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've been on the receiving end of that before, but I've also seen people who have acted that way towards others. And I think that's crazy. Yeah. Like if someone's just got a crush on you, like leave it be, be flattered and say no. And but like respect that person. That's not their fault. Right. So anyway, that's like. Like, it's clear, like, the um, the contempt he has for Harriet, for dating to think of him as a romantic interest, is so clear in the way he talks in this Meanwhile, chapter. Meanwhile, Emma thinks the same about him, though. Yes, but he's also being grosser. Yes, he's definitely being grosser, but... Harriet didn't do anything wrong. Right. Elton's like, I love you. You're mine. It's great. You can't say no. Yeah, he's it's gross. Great. He's so gross. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Emma's moment of reflection, what it sort of means for her story going forward and what it means for her refusal of Elton. In terms of what it means for her and her story, like she is suddenly self-aware, at least in that she realizes that she made up her mind about how this was going to go with Elton and Harriet and was blinded by that and refused to see what was actually happening. So she's knocking herself down a peg. She's like, okay, I understand. I messed up here. So that might make her a little bit more cautious going forward, perhaps, with her matchmaking. Her refusal is interesting because she tells him, I have no desire for marriage at present, which is not 100% true. Like, she doesn't have a desire for marriage, but she could see herself marrying a person. She's picked one person who passes all of her credentials so far of anyone. And she's never met him. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that the biggest thing that I took out of her self-reflection was that she admitted to having messed up, which is big for her. Yes. She also admitted Knightley was right. She did admit Knightley was right. She admitted those brothers had some penetration. If only. Um, 
Yeah, I think this this chapter also reflects uh, to me in the same way that Jane Austen writes it in a very similar manner to the way she writes the chapter about the letter in which Emma's peeling back her experience layer by layer, starting with, oh my God, that two-timer. Oh, but now that I think about it, if I read it that way, you could actually perceive his behavior as being towards me. Oh my God, wait, let me take a look at that poem again, that painting again. Oh my God, he's been in love with me the whole time. Wait, how did he possibly think he had a shot? But now that I think about it, I was so blinded that maybe he was blinded and it just goes and it goes and it goes until she spirals into I'm never matchmaking again. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, again, Jane Austen has a capacity to really write someone's internal monologue really well so that you really get a sense of the... um, spiraling realizations that these women are coming to about their their love lives and their matches and the proposals they refuse, shall mm-hmm. we say. And I note that this comes early in the book, so it has to, by nature of the way that the book is structured, play a different role than Lizzie's, which comes halfway to towards the later part of the book. So Pride and Prejudice, that has to play a necessarily different role than this chapter plays in Emma. Right. Well, in Pride and Prejudice, it turns her into a Darcy lover. She's like, wait a minute. Wait, he's been hot the whole time. (laughs) Right. That's basically the realization she has. She's like, wait a minute. Wait. When he's brooding in the corner, actually, he's just shy and now I'm in love with him. Meanwhile, Emma's like, wow, he sucked the whole time. Yeah. And I I just am curious about what it's going to mean for her moving forward. Like, is she going to be more careful? Moving to my last study question before the standbys, is Emma done with matchmaking? No. That was quick. (laughs) No, I don't think she is because that's just just based on the fact that that's the only thing I knew about her going into this was that she likes to matchmake people. Like, we are only a third of the way done with this book. So she simply has to again. Plus, there's still Frank to think of and there's still Jane Fairfax to think of who I just I know is coming back. so she's just she's still going to do it. The thing is that I feel like she's going to do it inadvertently, maybe, or she's going to do it like more in a more self-aware manner and try to like remove herself from it more. I don't know. All right. Uh, what do you think of Emma? It's complicated, isn't it? I want to say that every time <laughs> she I think like I relate to her a lot. And also, she is doing the same thing that she is mad at Elton for doing, like looking down on a person. Like we just said, he was grosser about it. But like she does still think of herself very highly. So there's that to think of. Yeah, yeah. Emma is asking all these guys to consider Harriet, who is so beneath them, when she's not even close to considering any guy who's even like in the realm of beneath her. Um, So it is a bit hypocritical on her part. At the same time, the beauty of watching Emma rip Elton a new asshole never gets old. So good. So good. All right, a funniest quote. So it's John when he's being a drama queen about the snow. And he says, and and uh, Isabella has just said that she's, she says, I can get out and walk. I'm not afraid. I should not mind walking half the way. I could change my shoes, you know, the moment I get home. And it's not the sort of thing that gives me cold. And he goes, indeed. Then, my dear Isabella, it is the most extraordinary sort of thing in the world. For in general, everything does give you cold. Walk home. You are prettily shod for walking home, I dare say. The, the Knightleys in general do give like a good chunk of the funniest quotes in this. And also Mr. Woodhouse, but for different reasons. Yeah, but the Knightleys are just hot. So everything is funny. Oh, true. Uh, questions moving forward. Will Emma matchmake again? What is she going to tell Harriet? What is she going to tell Harriet is my big question. Like... I I foresee a world where she tells Harriet and Harriet is hurt because she doesn't believe, like she might not believe, well, she kind of believes everything that Emma says, but she might not believe that Emma doesn't feel anything back for him because she, you know, has said all this time, like, he's such a good match. He's such a good person, like all this stuff. And now Emma's like, he fucking sucks and he's in love with me. Harriet's gonna be like, why are you doing this? Why are you saying that? So I'm curious about how that's gonna go. That's my big question. Who wins the chapters? Probably Emma. Yeah, because it's mostly either Elton or Emma. Yeah. And it's definitely not Elton. Yeah, so Emma by default, but also like she does have a great time just tearing him to shreds. I'm going to also give an honorable mention to Mr. Knightley for just being right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And also checking up on the snow. And checking up on the snow. He's like, I got got this, guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, Mr. Knightley. (laughs) Mr. Knightley. All right, listeners. 
That concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. For next week, we are finishing up volume the first. Ooh. I know. Time flies when you're reading, Emma. It really does. And we're going to read chapters 17 and 18. You ready for that, Molly? I am so excited. Well, then until next time, stay proper. And don't propose to someone who definitely doesn't like you back. Yeah, be very careful about that, guys. Yeah. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.